Welcome, friends, people for peace, pods of consciousness, planetary citizens, wherever you happen to be today, listening to Glocal News and Social Artistry. I'm your host, Dick Dalton, and my guest host with me, or co-host this morning, is my wife, Marcia. Good morning, Marcia. Good morning again, Mr. <laughs> Dalton. <laughs> Uh, we've done this a time or two before when we have mutual friends on the show with us, and that's why Marsha's here today, because one of our dear old friends uh, that we met back in the 70s is with us, Jim McCarthy, here in Columbia. Are you on the line, Jim? Uh, yes, I am, Dick. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you. You hear him, Mar? I can hear you, Jim. Great, great. Good morning. Good morning, you two. Good morning. <laughs> well, this is fun. This is fun. We've kind of been looking forward to this for uh, quite a while. Jim has been working on a book, getting it published, called Alone in the Rain, subtitle, Reliving Vietnam to Relieve PTSD. And with that, we can sort of get an idea of, of what this uh, hour is going to be about. So, Jim, we got a book here. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> when did you start writing the book Alone in the Rain? And then maybe tell us a little bit about where you got the title, Alone in the Rain. I started writing it probably 20 years ago on the advice of a counselor at the VA and kind of in connection with the church that I was attending, we thought that maybe I should start writing things down that kind of bring things to the surface that were bothering me because, I don't know, I just, there was a lot of things going on in my mind that I thought I'd better start writing stuff down that I could kind of bounce off somebody else, you know, is this legitimate feeling or what? why is this happening? Mm -hmm. So I kind of put down snippets here and there, and the alone in the rain kind of, it hit me as I was actually on guard duty in 1968 during the World Series, and I had a transistor radio in my pocket, and as it, in Vietnam, it was raining at that time. It was kind of monsoon season, so I was walking guard and listening to the broadcast and hearing the, the crowds cheer, the, the, uh, the, you know, the people advertising on the on the radio i mean i could hear the people cheering i could hear the crack of the bat and people selling popcorn and beer and stuff and it's like man it's like i felt so disconnected to the whole thing and it just kind of hit me as being alone in the rain and <laughs> by myself and, yeah. and so it's kind of where it 
yeah. where the title came from. Cool. I, I don't think I'd ever heard that story expressed uh, by you that way. Although I do remember in reading the book that uh, I remember that scene. So it, it really, uh, I, I can I can picture it. <laughs> so you were in Vietnam in the late 60s. Uh, you're, you're from Philadelphia, right? Or as they say, Philly or uh, more yeah, specifically? Yeah, I grew up in Philly. <laughs> yeah, I grew up in Philly and in a section of town called Fishtown. It really is it, called Fish Town. Yeah, yeah. It would, goes back to the revolutionary period where mm. there was a lot of fishing industry in that particular area, and there was shipbuilding. And and when at that time, when the Delaware River was not polluted, you know, where there was tires floating and stuff. So <laughs> it was uh, it was kind of a. It, it's also called Kensington. But Fishtown is kind of a smaller area of uh, Kensington. All right. What got you into the war? Well, I was attending college in Florida. And as I mentioned uh, on several occasions to people, my tan was better than my grades. And I was eventually uh, kicked out of college because of low grades. And I became draft bait uh and i had been drafted in my sophomore year but my grades were okay where i could get a deferment but my junior year uh which was 1967 Mm -hmm. uh my grades had fallen and when i got my grades in may it didn't take long for the (laughs) deferment to go away so i had to go do something uh I was uh, eligible for uh, LBJ to draft me. Mm-hmm. And? And then I had to decide what I wanted to do, and I had to decide what branch of the service I was going to go in. Uh, and my my I knew my draft notice was going to come up shortly, probably in October, so I had to figure out what it was going to do. So. Uh, I had a couple of friends that were in the Marine Corps, and they took me to the recruiting station and talked to this Marine, and, and he couldn't promise anything uh, except if I enlisted for four years, I could get into aviation in the Marine Corps. And I figured, no, four years in the Marine is not my not my cup of tea, <laughs> plus the fact my, my brother had been in the Corps after korea and he his advice to me was don't go in the marines you'll get yourself killed because of their battle tactics so i ended up enlisting in the army on allegheny avenue in in philadelphia and uh, took the tests and and i qualified uh for a personnel specialist which was essentially a clerk Mm -hmm. so i ended up joining the army yeah and did it take long before they uh uh had you come down and swear in and uh or did you have some yeah, delay uh no there wasn't too much of a delay i uh, i think i turned 1a which is eligible to be inducted probably in early july of 67 so yeah 67 mm-hmm. uh-huh. uh early July 67, and then I got an official draft notice that said 
that I had to report uh, on October 30th, 1967. So I had to do my window was not very wide. I had a, and I figured the Air Force and the Navy were probably closed because a lot of people didn't want to go into the ground forces, mm-hmm. you know. So that's what I did. Went to the recruiter and mm-hmm. and signed up, and and I eventually uh, was sworn in. I believe it was October thirtieth of nineteen sixty-seven on Broad Street and. Uh, where the induction center was mm-hmm. in Philadelphia. So you were just one year almost exactly after I had gotten my uh, draft notice. Uh, I had graduated and was on the way to graduate school, but that didn't seem to matter, uh, and got my draft notice in in July of uh, 66. And did the same kind of thing talked with my dad and he said you know don't go in the don't go in the infantry in the army uh, uh as a draftee you ought to enlist and he had been in the navy so i went to the navy recruiter and uh, signed up and and i think it was about october when i started off to boot camp at great lake so yeah i i know the i know the routine a little bit there yeah yeah it uh yeah, it was different. I, <laughs> yeah. Now, I mean, you, you had a lot of guys from Philly in going in at the same time. Is that correct? Yeah, we went. We left uh, the train station uh, in Philly and went down to Fort Bragg, and the guys on the train were all from Philly or in the, in the Philadelphia area. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was several of us, yeah. Yeah. And uh, they didn't waste any time, did they, in uh, getting you to boot camp and and sort of uh, ready to go and then uh, off? Yeah, we, we had like a three-day in the reception station in New York at Fort Bragg. They, uh, they gave us clothes, and, and they did some testing. And actually, I qualified for OCS, which was Officer Candidate School. But as fate would have it, for some reason, OCS was closed for some time. And mm. I was advised, yeah, you qualified for OCS, and and you can go to that's officer candidate school. Right. So mm-hmm. eventually I could, enlisted man could go to become an officer. Mm-hmm. But they said it's closed, and you can reapply in probably six months. Mm-hmm. So... So then they, uh, we met our uh, our drill sergeant uh, at the end of that three days, and he jumped on the bus and started yelling about get off this bus. And, <laughs> just like in the movies, and, huh? <laughs> yeah, just like in the movies. Uh, he was quite vocal. He had quite a vocabulary of obscenities and that I didn't put in the book. I just, you know, he, uh, he just yelled at us, and, and uh, we started our training. Yeah. And uh, you, in your in your book, it it starts uh, with a, a plane ride itself uh, after you've already been through boot camp. But then you you go back and sort of lay this groundwork of things that you've already now just described. 
and it takes us all the way through your uh, pretty much your entire uh, time in Vietnam. Marcia, what do you think about his title for his first chapter? Do you remember what that is? Well, I've got the book in front of me, so I can cheat and look at it. Okay. Oh yeah, you're. It's kind of jarring. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Marquis de Sade Airlines. <laughs> <laughs> it sort of gives your. Uh, th- there is humor in the book, <laughs> but it, it's it's. I don't know if it's Philly humor or if it's just Jim McCarthy humor. <laughs> But, you know, just to call a, a plane ride the Marquis de Sade Airlines, I thought that was quite a cool beginning. And, and I don't know, Jim, if you want to comment on. What? Well, it was it was a long it was a long plane ride. We left, I think it was Travis Air Force Base and we flew five hours to Hawaii and we got off. So you figure you're on a plane for five hours and you kind of get in different positions and, and, you know, trying to get comfortable and do you want to sleep? Do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? And the plane was full and and you just kind of did different contortions and stuff, (laughs) trying to get comfortable. And and that's kind of what we did for the entire trip. I mean, Hawaii and then I don't know how many times we stopped before Mm we finally ended up... uh, in Japan, uh, and we left about, I want to say, like six o'clock in the evening. We left California, and we got to Japan probably six o'clock in the morning the next day, uh, mm-hmm. and the sun was out, and that was pretty good. But it was kind of a, a torturous ride in a plane. Uh-huh. Did, did they still allow smoking on the planes back then? Yeah. Ah, yeah, so there yeah, was... everybody, you know, and I think everybody <laughs> smoked. I mean, it just, I mean, I know the ventilation system was working, but now the air kind of gets kind of stale. You yeah. Know? Well, later on um, in the book, you describe a plane ride. It might have been when you were coming home one time, you were on a, a plane with coffins, and that sounded pretty eerie. Yeah. It was in November. It was actually November the first. It was the the same day that LBJ stopped the bombing uh, in 1968. The next day, I was at the bank and and I got noticed that the Red Cross wanted to talk to me. So I got went to the Red Cross and they said they told me that my father had passed away. Oh, so wow. I was allowed to go home hmm. on emergency leave and the hmm. plane that I left Anang in was uh, I think like a 727 kind of not commercial but a civilian airplane and then when I got to Okinawa I was put on a C-141 which is a large aircraft uh, transport aircraft and there was coffins on the hmm. in the uh, cargo bay and hmm. kind of they call it a coffin flight. Wow. So I flew home with, and there was other guys on the plane also on emergency leave, and there was coffins in the uh, in the bay with us. Hmm. That that sounded just so grotesque, and especially when you were, your father had just died, and you were on your way home to the funeral. Wow. Hmm. Did you have any idea your dad was uh, 
uh, you know, possibly going to have some kind of an incident while you were gone? Had no, he... he was he was fifty eight. He was fairly young. Mm, well, yeah. But he had a he had a sedentary. He worked in a bank. He was a a loan officer, uh, commercial loans, and uh, but he. He smoked and he drank and he and he had a, a sedentary job. So mm-hmm. at that time, but that's kind of what people did, and, mm-hmm. and that's what killed him. Yeah. You know, heart attack caught up with him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Back to arriving in Vietnam. This is, as I recall, this is right after the Tet Offensive had uh, been going on a month or two. Then you you uh, fly in to. What into Da Nang or where were were you going? No, we we yeah, it was right after Tet because when I was at Fort Leonard Wood for AIT, Advanced Individual Training, we got there in February of '68, and Tet was going on, and we could hear the radio reports, and and there was all kinds of fighting, and uh, at one point. When we were about to graduate, we, there was rumors floating that we were all going to go to Germany. Well, mm. because of Tet, then the Army changed their mind, and, and the sergeant told us, uh, they don't need you in Germany, they need you in Vietnam. So mm-hmm. that's we went over, and that was April, I think I landed in Benoit Air Base, mm. in, which is outside... Uh, at some distance from Saigon, which is in the southern part of Vietnam, mm-hmm. and landed there at Benoit and then went to the Long Bin, the 90th replacement battalion in Long Bin, and that's mm-hmm. where they kind of sort people out and you find out where you're going to go. Mm-hmm. So it was right after Tet, and there was uh, still battle damage in. In Long Bend, there was buildings with holes in it and burned out trucks and stuff. So mm-hmm. the aftermath of Tet was still there. Wow. Yeah. And then you ended up in um, Da Nang, which is yes. close to, it's much closer to North Vietnamese at that time. The way it Yeah, was it's time. like, I don't, mileage wise, it's about. Where we landed in Benoit and Long Bend, it's like 300-some miles north. Uh, so Da Nang uh, is, I, I think, probably maybe, I don't know, 80, 90 miles from the DMZ, about 50 miles from way where the Marines were fighting to clean out the North Vietnamese. Mm-hmm. So, And you were at um, Marble Mountain, which... Yeah, was right on the yeah, beach Marble actually, Mountain. right? Well, or close was, to the uh, beach. Yeah, we were right on the beach. Uh, it was Marble Mountain Air Facility, is what it was called. It was right on the South China Sea, hmm. and it was actually a marine compound because when we pulled in the gate, there was marine guards and a big sign that said Mag Sixteen Marine Air, Air Group. Mm-hmm. So. The Marines were on right next to the beach, and then the the, uh, runway was between us, and then we, the Army Battalion that I was in, was on the west side of the runway. Mm -hmm. 
And you said there were buildings, it was like buildings on sand or something like that. Uh, yeah, there was sand everywhere. Uh, yeah. They are kind of bleak. And if, if people are even interested, there is uh, YouTube videos of that area. There was a guy in our company that made movies, and mm. His, mm. his name was Stan Bloom. B-L-O-O-M who is who passed away but the videos are still up there and if hmm. you plug in uh, Marble Mountain or 245th Aviation Company or just his name those videos will probably pop up interesting I didn't know that okay we can check that out yeah uh, we're going to take a a station break here in just a second, Jim. Um, okay. When we come back, we ought to do some chatting about what PTSD is and and uh, how how things like that uh, came about in your particular experience, and then give a plug to the VA here in Columbia for uh, you know the kinds of services that they provide for. Uh, for veterans. Okay, yeah. So we'll we'll be back in just a minute with Jim McCarthy okay. and more local news in social artistry. what you're going through. I've been there. Nobody else I know has been there. It's not easy being a veteran. Coming back from Iraq or Afghanistan. I had been so excited to come home. But it's harder than I thought. Not everyone understands that. Things at home may be as you left them. But you don't feel the same. Join us at communityofveterans.org and connect to others who are going through the same thing. Because no one knows what it's like to come back unless they were there. Brought to you by Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America and the Ad Council. And welcome back to Glocal News and Social Artistry. I'm here in the studio with uh, my wife, Marsha. I'm Dick Dalton. And our guest today is Jim McCarthy, a veteran of the uh, Vietnam uh, War period. And uh, you were... Hi, Jim. Hi. <clears throat> Hi, Dick. Uh, you were in country, as they say, but without spending too much more time about your experiences right you know your book is so so intimate in just going through your different experiences and as you say it's it's not a glory book it's not a uh, macho book it's it's just uh, you're just a regular guy from fishtown that's uh, going through the experience of uh, being in a Vietnam base, uh, doing your thing and experiencing what 
all kinds of people did. I, I truly recommend this to uh, not only veterans, but to people that uh, are familiar with veterans that um, maybe haven't heard the stories as Jim can tell his here. I, I want to I, I want to mention though that the movie Saving Private Ryan seemed to have a lot to do with your book in a catalyst sort of a way. Can do you mind telling us about that? Well, when I saw Saving Private Ryan, yeah, it was, it was traumatic watching it, but then it wasn't too much later. I mean, I don't day-wise, I don't know, but I started getting more... Uh, I don't, I don't want to say paranoid, but more anxious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I started having weird feelings. I would get terrified mm-hmm. uh, for no reason. I mean, I, I was sitting uh, in in uh, in a counseling session at at our church with this young woman. Uh, her name is Barb Priest. Uh, she lives here in Columbia. And we were doing a counseling session, and I just started shaking. And the fear was just overpowering. And I said, I, I said outside, am I going crazy? And she said, no, that's adrenaline that's uh, that's firing up. It's that uh, fight or flight thing going on in your head, and it it was very disconcerting. And I don't. I mean, Private Ryan didn't do that. It was just old stuff that I had never dealt with. Mm-hmm. I. I had just, like a lot of veterans, I just buried it. You know, if we had any kind of a, any kind of an attack, it was like, okay, the attack's over, forget about it, let's move on. Well, apparently you can bury that stuff for so long, and then mm-hmm. eventually it's just like a jack-in-the-box is going to mm-hmm. pop out when you're mm-hmm. not expecting it. And you mean an attack like while you were in country, you would get... Yeah. Uh, mortar attack or you know whatever would be going on and yeah okay yeah rocket mm-hmm. attack right uh-huh. yeah so what did barb suggest she told me to because we were in a, in a compound we didn't go out i mean i wasn't in an infantry outfit we didn't go out in the jungle there was no jungle where we were uh-huh. it was just we were on the compound and uh, with, you know, actually had a cyclone fence and guard towers and et cetera. Uh, and we didn't go out at night. Uh, the nighttime was the bad time mm-hmm. uh, because that's when we we get chilled, you know, two o'clock in the morning or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was always kind of, Kind of nighttime was usually. Uh, I was scared every night. Yeah. 
because you didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, you know, was the VC or the, the NBA going to throw rockets at us or whatever, you know? So, you know, is the mortar going to come through the roof, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, and your barracks, uh, uh, your barracks was not as fortified as a a place of safety that you would run to if you started to get a mortar attack. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, bunker. Yeah, a bunker. And, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Our platoon was on the second floor of the barracks or hooch, as we call them. Uh, so you had to run down the steps and and uh, and get in the bunker. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, I may have taken you off the track. I don't know. That's but okay, but it was just. But Barb was suggesting, as these uh, experiences started coming back, that you might want to get further counseling. Or uh, had you already yeah. been going to the VA? Yeah, yeah, I've been going to the VA. Uh, I've got multiple sclerosis, and one of the downsides of that is depression so i had been getting counseling for depression and was on medication uh for that and her advice to me was okay you lived inside the wire uh have your have your compound now it's time to go out and find the enemy i mean they've been they've been shelling you so now it's time for you to kind of go inside your mind and find find the enemy in your head mm-hmm. you know those instances and and those uh you know go, go after the enemy in your head mm-hmm. and that's that's kind of what i did and that's what this this book tries to do is mm-hmm. you know bring this stuff up and and look at it and see what's you know going on in my head so. mm-hmm. where did the label ptsd enter in uh, that was that's some kind of something they come up with after Vietnam because of it's it's post traumatic uh, and it's after the fact it's you know we had a had a bad thing happen and it's it's the after effects of it that or don't come up immediately but mm-hmm. maybe like in my case years later I mean right. it was like. 30 years after I came back that mm-hmm. right. mm-hmm. all this crap comes up in my head, you know. So did your counselor at the VA actually uh, put a diagnosis on you uh, in that way? Is that... She you, did. Mm-hmm. She did, and I denied it. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's she interesting. Said, I think he got... She said... Uh, uh, when I was describing stuff and and the feeling disconnected and and things that were going on, she said, "I think I got P- you have PTSD." And the only equation equation that I had was, well, you saw news reports of guys running around and shooting people and saying, you know, he was they were in Vietnam, and she said that's not PTSD. Mm-hmm. PTSD is more subtle than that. And it's the after effects of of things. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in my head, she's nuts. I'm nuts. You know, every, <laughs> everything's everybody's nuts. And you know, I don't have PTSD. I, mm-hmm. I, in fact, I called it 
So you talk in PT, I, I think I said uh, PTTS or, or something, you know. And hmm. She said, no, it's PTSD, and I think you've got it. Uh, <laughs> but, hmm. you know, and I didn't verbalize to her, but hmm. no. What, first of all, I, I talk it internally. It's like, am I nuts? Uh, yeah. Am I crazy? Is she crazy? You know, it's like pointing every place else, you know, just in complete denial of stuff that was going on. Hmm. It's interesting. You mentioned the disconnectedness and the separation at times that you felt from, like when you were talking about coming up with the title Alone in the Rain and and you were on guard and you were listening to the World Series and you you felt so separated or whatever word you used there and then i keep hearing you use that word again and it it seems like <clears throat> have you discerned a pattern that kind of started there and then there were times in your book when you would talk about coming back home to the u.s for this reason or that and you felt so out of place, maybe I should say, or you had maybe another word for it. You felt separate again, and you felt like you had to get back to Vietnam. You didn't want to want to go to Fort Sill or some of these other places <laughs> that you could have gone. You ended up going back to Vietnam because you felt yeah, it, more home there or something. Yeah, it. I mean, it's it's. You know, I'd use the word crazy, but, you know, it's like Fort Sill would be a whole lot safer than outside Da Nang with rockets and mortars falling. But, you would uh, think. <laughs> yeah. And, but in my head, I knew what I had there. I knew the dangers, but I didn't want to go someplace that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. So it was a familiarity. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's that's what I you know I don't was what may have been a death wish I don't know you know but mm-hmm. so if you had a chance to uh, I mean do you bump into other vets and are there conversations that you had at all about similar things uh, not well. Not really. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I came home, uh, Vietnam was a bad word. And when I went back to Philly, there was guys that that had been in the Marines and, you know, if we were in a bar, we didn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just didn't talk. And, and at that time, a lot of people wore field jackets. It was kind of the... Uh, not just veterans, but, you know, John Lennon, everybody had a field jacket. You uh, know, it's kind yeah. of the fashion thing. Okay. And and being in a bar and people saying, oh, here's the war heroes. And, you know, guys making comments like, well, we won the war that we were in. So, mm. and wow. So, so uh, a few, not fights, but had to be, you know, removed from the bar before something mm-hmm. started. 
So, quite, quite a put we down. We, yeah, we didn't talk about it. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, my friend that I mentioned in the book, his name was Sullivan. He was wounded in way uh, during 68, trying to clean out the NVA, and he was still carrying a piece of an AK-47 round in his back. Hmm. But we didn't talk about it. Hmm. And people that we figured people don't want to hear about it, and we don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that's a lot of that stuff got buried sure. in people's heads. Mm-hmm. It is sat on it, yeah. and that's that's what I did with the book. I mean, it sat on the computer for years. I mean, just kind of here and there, and you know, it, as I wrote to somebody recently that probably would have just sat there in the dustbin in the dustbin of history or whatever mm-hmm. on that computer of what happened mm-hmm. yeah because you were writing that back around 2000 2001 in those years yeah 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 well and then uh then the motivation came to uh maybe put it together put it on kindle so you now have a, a kindle version of your book and uh, now it's out in paperback. Um, I think there'll be one uh, available in the Columbia Public Library soon. Uh, so uh, how do you feel about it? your story being out there? Uh, it, uh, I don't, I don't. <laughs> To put a word, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm not ashamed of what I wrote. It's just it's my life. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's just an autobiography. And after it came out, I wanted my family to read it because some of the grandchildren uh, in the family uh, don't know much about my family, my mom and dad and sister and mm-hmm. and et cetera. So mm-hmm. wanted to kind of give them some insight of what what happened to the family and et cetera. Mm-hmm. So uh, Yeah, so there um, in, in the book you you have a uh, one time you you're back in Philly, maybe it's uh when you're back for your dad's funeral, I can't remember, but you then take the reader uh to back you, you know, some years prior to that, where you can tell about how family things were going and uh, uh, how you lost your mom and uh, how you lost your your sister and um, they were other traumas uh, of life that you know we all experience sooner or later. But here they were kind of packed in, and then your dad uh, dies, so. It seemed real appropriate for you to go back and and share some of that uh, family history at the time, and, uh, put a few pictures in so people could get a you know a little visual on uh, who you all were and are. And uh, uh, we might mention yeah. that one of those trips back, you went to Missouri and because uh, yeah, you had a. A relative that lived up uh, in Moberly area, right? Right. Yeah, my sister still lives in uh, in Moberly. She had a farm. They had a farm in Huntsville, which is outside of Moberly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, a neighboring 
farm family, uh, the kitchen family. Yes. A young lady, uh, teenage girl, uh, caught your eye one day. <laughs> yes. Yes. Judy, my wife of, uh, of 46 years now. So, yeah, my uh, my snow angel. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> A beautiful yeah. story, yeah. To actually see Judy come out and you were in a position to see her just play in the snow and make a snow angel and uh, yeah that was a very touching uh, little piece in the book so now you're um, in a sense you're retired because of the MS is that a fair statement yeah yeah I was working at the uh hospital in Moberly uh, mm-hmm. and I was diagnosed in uh, 1996 and the fatigue was getting to me I, I worked in housekeeping and you know pushing laundry carts and and shampooing carpet and and buffing mm-hmm. floors and so this is your 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 MS diagnosis yeah 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 yeah, uh-huh. yeah okay. the MS uh-huh. and so they they kept putting pressure on me. You know, you need to apply for a disability. Uh, mm. And I hung on for a while, and then uh, I finally they finally laid me off mm-hmm. uh, after 19 years. So mm-hmm. yeah, and then I I guess disability did come through, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Social Security, yeah, yeah. Wonderful. So today you're. Uh, a published author. I understand you do some Tai Chi over at the VA. Yeah, yeah, they have a, a very uh, nice, I was going to ask if I could give you a shout out to the people in the Tai Chi class, uh, All right. Leslie and Luann and, and Lincoln that lead the Tai Chi. It's on Wednesday at 11 o'clock, mm-hmm. uh, so they'll be getting together. Yeah, it's been good. It gets me out of the house, and the Tai Chi has been helping me and and meeting other veterans, and mm-hmm. you know, so excellent. And I have a feeling that uh, your book is actually going to help connect you with more veterans or families that have had veterans, and and I I just sort of uh, foresee some very positive discussions uh, that come out. Uh, that will benefit everybody yes yeah yeah i hope so i you know i i i didn't write it to make money i just wanted to put it out there and if it helps other people to also not necessarily to write books but to just let people know you know this is what you know, I've had trouble dealing with things, and you got to kind of uh, bear with me, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I still have trouble. Uh, my wife's got a, Judy's got a a, uh, a fairly new SUV that she drives, and I'm scared to death to drive it because I'm afraid something's going to happen. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. and that's, I think that's carryover from, the PTSD something mm-hmm. something's going to happen you mm-hmm. know and I'm going to you know 
mess it up or something, mm-hmm. you know. Even though you have a car and you get around. Yeah. I'd, yeah. yeah I'd, Your old I'd clunker. Car and I'm, <laughs> yeah. I've got a, uh, a 2008 Sonata that's <laughs> uh, got 33,000 miles on it. Whenever I get oil changed, the guy asks me, do you ever drive this thing? <laughs> you know, that's... So I, I, uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, I get around. So <laughs> it would be good if people, uh, would kind of understand where the vet's coming from. And I'm just mm-hmm. talking not just Vietnam veterans, but, mm-hmm. and we've had wars in, in Iraq, Afghanistan. I've got a, my niece's boy spent 20 years in the army and he had been, all over the place. He'd been to Kosovo and he'd mm-hmm. been to Afghanistan and, and mm-hmm. Iraq. He spent umpteen tours in in these different places. And, mm-hmm. you know, vets deal with stuff. I mean, just being away from your family is enough to make it traumatic. You know, right. you miss mm-hmm. things and, and everything like that. So mm-hmm. yeah. if it can help other vets, man, more, I'd, I'd be thrilled about that. I, mm-hmm. I really would. I mean, you know, People need to get help, and and uh, mental health is mm-hmm. really something we need to be aware of. You know, right on. Would, would people out. find you on Facebook, or if if somebody wanted to contact you, um, I don't know if you want to give an email address, or should it is the call and leave a message here at the station, and we can get word to you. Um, uh, I've got a an email address. Uh, it's not. It's just mine. Uh, not my Judy and I's, but just my uh-huh. uh, email address is red i g i. It's all lowercase r e d e y e g i. At our company call sign was red eye. So um, uh-huh. red i g i at yahoo dot com. They can email me there and. Uh, Red I G I at yeah. Yahoo. 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 Yahoo.com. All right. Yeah. For contacting Jim McCarthy uh, about uh-huh. his book, Alone in the Rain Reliving Vietnam to Relieve PTSD. Uh, I highly recommend the book um, and look forward yeah, to uh, maybe you'll be at the library at the uh, local author day. Uh, coming up this fall, uh, maybe yeah, I th- yeah. it's either September, or October. So yeah. uh, get a hold of Jim. He's he's got a good thing to offer and uh, is really interested in helping. And hey, thanks. Can I give a shout out, mm-hmm. my sister? Sure. Today's her birthday. Uh, <laughs> happy birthday, Carol. She's eighty-six today and still going strong. Wow. Whoa. Happy birthday to you. All right. Well, we're well, running out. Th- we're running out of time. That'll have to be it, Jim. Thank you, Marcia. Okay. Uh, well, I want to tell folks. Fo- yes. And and thank you for having me on. Oh, it's our oh, pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Appreciate. Yeah. Okay. And listeners, yeah. next week my guest is going to be Paul Sturtz. Most uh, Colombians know Paul through either the uh, city council or Ragtag Cinema or uh, True False Film Festival. So he's going to be here in the studio with me, and we're going to talk about his uh, 
work as a social artist and where that trajectory may be taking him and maybe it has already taken him uh, in today's world. So come join us next week for more local news in social artistry. And remember, wherever you are, that is your world. Please leave your world cleaner, more peaceful, and more loving than you found it, because if it is to be, it is up to us. Take care. Talk to you soon.